This episode of Your Catholic Life is brought to you by Iowa Catholic Radio, connecting listeners with Christ, iowacatholicradio.com, and everywhere you are on the free Iowa Catholic Radio app. Welcome in, everyone, to Your Catholic Life, a podcast for Catholics by Catholics, helping you grow in your faith. I'm John Leonetti, your host. There's a growing list of people I want to interview, and today's guest was at the top of that list. The other day, I had the opportunity to speak with Father Paul Scalia, son of the late Justice Antonin Scalia, where we discussed his life, his vocation, the funeral homily that he gave at his father's mass, and his new book, That Nothing May Be Lost. Here's how it went. He is the Episcopal Vicar for Clergy for the Diocese of Arlington, Virginia, author of the new book, That Nothing May Be Lost, and son of the late Justice Antonin Scalia. Father Paul Scalia, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing just fine. I'm so excited to have you on here on the show. Now, I'm going to throw you a little curveball here, Father, because I I hope you're ready for this, because everyone's interested in your dad's life, and I am too. We're going to get to that. Everyone's interested in your life. I want to know about Father Paul Scalia's mom here. I, raising that's, nine that's children. Not, that's, that's not a curveball. That's a nice. That's a nice big fastball across the plate. <laughs> right. uh, Good. She's she's wonderful. She's she's the perfect combination of of a loving mother and a very tough one too. And you know she she listen. You know that she's a strong woman because she was my dad's wife. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So uh, she you know. Uh, he could not have done what he did without her. Was and she strict? I think that's something. Uh, yeah, of course. Yes. Yeah. Nine yeah, kids. Absolutely. You got to be right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I read that's a little. Not, unreason- not unreasonably strict, you know. Sure. And, and my mom, a very devout woman. She's a daily communicant, and she um, she's a reader. She she's constantly reading things, and uh, you know, uh, my my siblings and I got our you know love for reading and. Um, as, as much from mom as from dad. Her and your dad met on a blind date. That's correct. Yeah. <laughs> at, at, when he was at Harvard Law and she was at Radcliffe. And, uh, and so here are these two Catholics in a, in a very secular setting, um, you know, uh, finding one another on a blind date. Was, uh, was your dad always a Catholic? Was he always interested in his faith? Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, he went to uh, Xavier High School and then Georgetown University, so he had a bit strong uh, strong background in the faith, but because of those schools at the time, and uh, I mean, growing up, he 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 would always seek out that parish. Uh, you know, this is in the seventies and eighties. You know, things were a little a little dicey back then. He would always seek out that parish that just gave clarity, you know, clear teaching and a, a reverent liturgy. He, he wanted to make sure that he could find that not just for himself, but for for all of us. Yeah. yeah. Was it was it a surprise or a shock to people when they learned you were going to be a priest? <laughs> well, you know, I was telling some people the other night about when I, um, as one person put it, broke the news to my parents, yeah. right, right? Like they were going to be disappointed. Uh, and I remember it very clearly. I was speaking to them, and I told them that I decided to enter the seminary after I graduated college. And uh, they looked up, and they, they nodded. They said, that's really good. And then they went back to what they were doing. It was no surprise <laughs> to them whatsoever. <laughs> it was, 
you know, I thought I was dropping the bombshell. <laughs> my mom <laughs> cried. I, I went to the seminary, man. My mom cried when I when I told her I was going to enter the seminary. And then she cried when I left because she wanted me to be a priest. <laughs> so crying for two different things, man. And your, your parents, it was just second nature. They just they, You think they always well, saw that they, in you? Yeah, they saw it. They saw it before I did, you know. And so it was it was um uh it was a very funny moment. I thought and it was great because it was like, well, I guess I'm on the right path because clearly they've seen it uh already. Was there anyone else that came along the way besides your parents that had such a profound influence on you becoming a priest in your faith? Oh sure, yeah, there was a, a parish priest, uh, one of the priests at our at our home parish that um uh, I got to know very well. He sort of took me under his wing, and, and, um, and then, he, but he got to know my entire family, and you know, did a couple of weddings and baptisms uh, for the family. And he came to our house very often uh, for dinner, spent Christmas dinner with us for years and years. And uh, so that was a great influence, a very, a very powerful influence in my life for, in terms of just deepening in my knowledge of the Catholic faith, learning Catholic devotions. Uh, he was a great preacher. He was a fearless preacher. Um, so yeah, that was a great blessing. And, you know, I, I think it's a great witness to just the power that a, a parish priest has. Mm-hmm. Uh, Your dad's the justice of the Supreme court. He comes home at night. You guys have dinner. What's conversation like after your dad's put in such a grueling day? Cause I got to think every day has got to be just so tiresome. Uh, well, no, I mean, he, I think he really liked, I mean, I know that he really liked sort of the, you know, the debate that, that could, um, during the oral arguments sure. and, um, and then, and then with his law clerks as well, I think people would be disappointed uh, to hear our dinner <laughs> conversation because it was regular dinner conversation. I mean, every so often, um, I, I remember at least one occasion, which he would, he would, you know, sort of speak more about legal things, but you know, typically it was regular family stuff. Yeah. Uh, including goofing off. Yeah. And but the important thing is, I and I, I think the most significant thing is that is that we did have dinner together every night, mm-hmm. and that there was a priority placed on that, and everything else sort of uh, revolved around it. Did he have any special devotions that you remember, your dad or your mom living today? My dad, you know, he he loved the uh, the, the sushi pay of Saint Ignatius. Mm-hmm. That's the name of the prayer: "The take, O Lord, into Thy hands my entire liberty, my memory, and understanding, my will." Sure. Uh, that that prayer was was particularly um, you know um, uh, uh, important to him, and uh, and you know it's, you know he, he was really just sort of the, the regular devotions I think. I remember one time after he'd been on retreat, being uh, his his speaking to me about Saint John the Baptist, and he I don't know what the retreat master had said, but my my father was particularly struck by the example of John the Baptist. And um, and the the humility of of him, you know, his humility, his his courage. My mom is, you know, um, uh, it's the rosary. And, uh, you know, in our area here, we're not too far from the National Shrine of Our Our Lady of Lords um, up in Emmitsburg, Maryland. So I know my mom goes up there and and, and visits. There had to be a Um, great push for study. I mean, you have two brothers that are lawyers. Uh, I mean, you, you couldn't slack. I'm sure with with your parents, as as brilliant as they are, I mean, you, they probably pushed you hard. I got to imagine. You know, it, it's it's not a matter of it. I, I'm not conscious. Maybe maybe because I didn't respond to their pushing. <laughs> not in high school anyway. Sure, sure. Um, uh, it was really just more by way of example. Um, Mom was a reader, is a reader, and I just remember so many times, just just you know. <laughs> At the end of the night, she would be in the other room just reading, just reading a book. And that was a great example, I thought, of, of uh, you know, here she is, 
uh, nine kids, and but she still puts puts a high priority on on reading and um, continuing that that education. Uh, and my father in our in my parents' home, you know, there was a study, he, and there there that's a room where dad is doing work and he's mm. and he's reading through his legal briefs and he's drafting opinions and everything. And I think I think that set a tone as well. So I you know it wasn't so much. Uh, direct, like, you know, really sort of driving us. It was, I think, at least for me, more by example. Yeah, it had to be. I'm talking to Father Paul Scalia right now, friends, the Episcopal Vicar for Clergy for the Diocese of Arlington, son of Justice Antonin Scalia, the late Justice Antonin Scalia. Uh, you gave a homily for your fa- at your father's funeral that went viral, we'll say. Um, I mean, millions of people saw this. Millions of people have seen this. Is it a blur to you now? Uh, the funeral or that, that whole that, I mean, that, the, that uh, homily? Because I got to tell you, Father, and I was going to follow up on this. I might as well say it now. That was one of the best homilies I've ever heard in my life. Well, thank you. No, listen, I think that whole event uh, is a tribute to the mystical body of Christ and the power of people's prayers because I, uh, I certainly felt it. I think my, my entire, entire family felt just a, you know, a, a certain support that is, um, that can't be explained by human reason alone, and uh, and there was a peacefulness uh, throughout that uh, that throughout the mass, throughout the day, um, that, that was really extraordinary. Yeah. And uh, you know, I had no idea that the um, that the homily was being carried by as many as many patients as it was. I thought it was EWTN, and thank <laughs> God I didn't know. <laughs> I <laughs> bet, man. You know, the end of me. Yeah, but, I. Um, oh. No, I think it's really a friend of mine said to me months later when we ran into each other, he said that was an anointed moment. Mm. And I said, that's exactly the word for it. That's what we felt. And and I, I, I think that that's what the Lord used that occasion for. Um, and uh, we really did want to have a, a smaller funeral, <laughs> but um, we couldn't figure out a way to accommodate the people who just needed to be invited because of my dad's professional life. because. Sure. You know, all the connections he had made because of the size of our family, um, and uh, and and so God really just used our our, our willingness to to be at the shrine as a way of, of reaching others. It's a wonderful thing. Father Paul Scalia is my guest. Um, yeah, and, and at that homily, I was so struck because of all people that could stand up there for hours and talk about how amazing of a, of a man your father was. You sat there, and more often times than not, you begged for prayers. Uh, well, this, that's what a Catholic funeral is about, isn't it? I love it. I <laughs> and love unfortunately, it. We, we've, we've lost sight of that. I mean, why do we offer Mass for the dead? Because they need our prayers, because no one is, is perfect. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. And, and when we die, I mean, we pray this in the, in, in the Hail Mary, you know, repeatedly throughout the day. Now and at the hour of our death, there, that's, that's when the rubber meets the road, and that's when we need the prayers the most. Uh, and for some reason, people have lost sight of that in, in, in recent decades, and, mm-hmm. and we really need to—and to, and, and it doesn't mean that it, the whole occasion needs to be really kind of depressing and macabre, but, sure. but, but we do need to recognize the importance of, of, of that. Uh, and if we lose sight of that, we're really doing a disservice to those, who, to those who have passed away. And I think also there's a need that we have uh, as mourners to do that, because it's a way of doing good for those— have died and and so there is something just psychologically healthy for us i mean obviously there are divine truths wrapped up in this but psychologically it's very healthy for us to go through that mourning but then also to 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 
to realize that we can continue to do good for our loved ones by praying for them. I got to get to your book because this is um, this is a heavy book too, by the way. It's almost like kind of a mini catechism. I think it's sort of a catechism that uh, takes flesh. You, yeah. know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and that's why, you know, the other authors that are in the book uh, providing diff- different ways of approaching, you know, the same uh, the same topics and showing how they can uh, the the doctrine is enfleshed and and things. Um, we need to the catechism is necessary, but then we need to see it. Okay, what what does it look like uh, from another angle when it when it when it takes flesh when the, when the teachings are lived out? Mm-hmm. And that, that's precisely what I uh, uh, you know I hope the book the book conveys. It's almost kind of like a, uh, I guess we'll say a conversational catechism, right? And and you have chapter introductions from people from Archbishop Chaput, uh, Father Paul Check, Scott Hahn. Uh, Raymond Arroyo, and I, I don't know if I've ever seen a book quite done like this. I mean, there's short chapter introductions, and then from them, and then you go. Yeah, and, and uh, as I said, it brings, it brings different voices in. It shows, uh, you know, one of the themes of the book is is really, you know, how doctrine, uh, again, takes flesh, and I think th- those voices uh, show that. I What I like <laughs> what I like about the contributors, every single one of the contributors is, is, is I think I can count as a friend, and um, uh, some are much closer friends than, than others. Father Czech and I, you know, we were in the seminary together 20-some years ago. Um, but but uh, uh, Helen Alvarez, for example, you know, is writing on prayer. And that's not typically what people think about. Hmm. When, you know, if, if people know Helen, you know, she's, she's, uh, she's, she's a tough uh, legal mind. She's mm-hmm. brilliant. She's, she's um, very witty. Um, she's a tough opponent. <laughs> But um, but I don't think people uh, think of her as as a, a woman of prayer. And mm. so there she is writing, writing I think a, a very nice piece on prayer and very down to earth, uh, rooted in, in in the church's theology. I mean, she doesn't make it explicit, but it's just clear that that's that's uh, how she's rooted. Uh, so that yeah, that's one example, and I um, I like very much the way the way it all came together in that way. I'm halfway through. And uh, I have to say, right. you know, when when uh, Cardinal Newman comes up, I mean, which is awesome. My my favorite part so far is the uh, chapter Paradoxes of Faith. I loved it. The tension and balance of Catholic teaching, man. You nailed that chapter. Yeah, you know, I'm <laughs> uh, here we are. I don't know. We've been talking for, I don't know, five, ten minutes here. But um, yeah. now only now am I going to bring up G.K. Chesterton. I usually can't <laughs> go a minute without, without bringing him up. Uh, he had a big influence in sort of my growth in faith when I was in, in college. And and that's really so much at the heart of what he's doing, you know. And he loves the play on words and things like that. And Saint Augustine was the same way. Yeah. Uh, it's so much a part of our faith. And uh, you know, a lot of times people run into difficulties with their faith. They might want run into a paradox, and they see it as a as, as they might see the difficulty as a doubt. They see the the paradox as a contradiction, and and they stop there. And and it's really too bad. They need to you know push forward because. That's where the growth is going to happen, and that's where the great spiritual fruit is, is, is really applying our minds uh, and uh, to to these things and trying to understand more and acknowledging our own our own weakness and allowing the Lord to enlighten us. That's that's where growth uh, happens. This is uh, a book, friends, that I cannot I cannot beg you to get uh, fast enough. In fact, uh, our Iowa Catholic Radio listeners will be very happy uh, to know that Father John Ricardo is on the back, heavily endorsing this book. He's our most popular show here on Iowa Catholic Radio, uh, and he is he's all in on this book. Scott Hahn, Mary Ellen. He's my, my, 
my seminary classmate. Yeah, is he he's, really? He's, uh, yeah, I was very happy that he did that for me. Well, I don't know what seminary you guys went to, but man, what they put in the food there—that's <laughs> something. That, that's a that's a class right there, uh, Father Paul Scalia. I can't thank you enough, man, for for coming Great to on. Great be here. with you. Thank you. Thanks so much. Great to be with you. God bless you and your work. So there you have it, friends. Run to your nearest Catholic bookstore and get your copy of Father Scalia's book. You almost feel like you're reading several books at a time when you read it because of the introductions from so many different heavyweights. It is, it's good stuff. Big thanks again to Father Scalia for his time today. Friends, make sure to share this and other episodes of Your Catholic Life on Facebook and Twitter, reminding your friends to take part in the show. Visit yourcatholiclifepodcast.com as well. Thanks for tuning in today. I'm John Linetti signing off here on Your Catholic Life. Remember, the only way to happiness is by holiness. Be confident in Christ's mercy and his love today.